promises of Easter are so powerful, so significant in our lives today. So, you're ready to hear the word. Your ears are open. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and let's commit this time in the, in the word of God to the Lord. Father, the goal of our service here today is to meet you and to grow in you. But it's, and it's more than just about, this message is more than just about information. It's about the inflammation of our hearts, which leads to the transformation of who we are so that we can become more like you. Father, may this word, as we hear it, be combined with faith. Translate it, translate it from my head to our feet. For the glory of God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The powerful promises of Easter. Let's read from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And they found the tomb, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men enclosed a gleam like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them, who told this to the disciples, to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up, ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. You know, in our world, we are taught that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, Right? So many of us have been taken in by all the empty promises that we become leery of anything or anyone who tells us that we can actually have something for nothing, right? You know, and this is the way the world works, but that's not the way God works. There is every, God has never made a promise to us that was too good to be true. Do we agree with that? You know, and, and the truth of the matter is that the world is full of empty promises. You watch television, and you see all those commercials, and those commercials tell you that you can be happy, or that you could be rich, or that you could be beautiful, you could be sexy, uh, you could be famous if you would just purchase this one product, right? And it's not long before you've been fooled enough to realize that all the promises of this world are full of emptiness. But God is different. God is different. Instead of promises full of emptiness, on Easter, he gave us emptiness that is full of promise. I'll explain that to you. 
This morning, I want to talk about, we're going to talk about the three powerful promises of Easter. And each promise is marked with something empty. The first one, let's begin with the promise of the empty cross. So now, let's go back to that Easter morning. It's dawn, early in the morning. A few followers of Jesus and their women, and they're making their way to the tomb to where Jesus is buried. Now, they've been walking for about half an hour, and their conversation is subdued. And the task before them is a sad one. They're going to anoint the body of Jesus with these spices. So they keep walking. And as they're walking along the path, they come to this rise in the path, and suddenly they just stop, and they stare into the distance. And as they look out there, they see the, the grim reminders of what happened just a few days before. And over there, just, be, just, just beside the city, they see this hill. This hill is called the Skull, the Skull Hill, Golgotha, the locals called it. And on top of those, that hill, silhouetted against the globe of pink sky, are three crosses, an empty reminder of the horror of last Friday. And there's that sky, there's that cross right in the middle, and that's the one that Jesus had hung on. So let's take a look, let's take a closer look at that, that cross. So on this cross, at the very top of it, we'll go to the next slide, at the very top of this slide, uh, uh, sorry, at the top, very top of the cross, so we got mixed up, our slide got mixed up there. Just think about this, you're looking at this, this slide, the, uh, the cross, and at the top of the cross is the blood stain. And the blood stain is from the crown of thorns that the soldiers had jammed into Jesus' skull. And you look at the, 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 the ends of the cross members, the cross member of the, of the cross, and you see the stains of the nails that were driven into Jesus' hands. And you look at the, 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 the main beam of the cross, and you see the blood. It's literally covered in blood. The blood from the back of Jesus where the soldiers had lit, beaten, beaten him with the cat of nine tails. And then you look at the side of the cross and you see the stains of the blood that had flowed from Jesus' side. When the soldier took his spear and he rammed it into Jesus' side to, to make sure that Jesus was dead. And I tell you, Jesus was dead. He was dead. There was absolutely no question about it. Jesus was dead. The soldiers knew it. The Romans knew it. The Jews knew it. And so all of them, put, all of them decide to put together some, pre, some fabricated stories. They make up a lie. Like the disciples stole the body. Or like Jesus didn't really die when he came off that cross. J. Vernon McGee. I don't know if you have, anybody have heard, heard of that name, J. Vernon McGee. Some of us have. He was an old-time radio preacher, I think in the 50s and 60s, and, he, and, and he, I think he had an hour, the gospel hour. And there was a woman who wrote in to, to J. Vernon McGee, and she wrote this letter. She said these words. Our preacher said that on Easter, Jesus just swooned on the cross and that the disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? McGee replied. Dear sister, 
whip your preacher 39 times with heavy strokes, nail him to the cross, hang him in the sun for six hours, run a spear through his heart, embalm him, put him in, the air, in an airless tomb for three days, then see what happens. You know, the cross was the most cruel form of execution that the Romans could ever think of. In fact, it was so cruel that Rome decided to ban the cross for its, Rome, for its citizens and allowed it only for slaves and enemies of the state. It was said that no one, after witnessing a crucifixion, ever walked away wondering, is that person dead? So, question, why the cross? Why the cross? Why the blood? Why all the agony? Why, why the death? Yeah, and here's the reason why. Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no what? There is no forgiveness of our sins. The promise of the cross is that you and I stand forgiven. Because it was on the cross of Jesus that he took the penalty for our sins. Our sin. You know that word sin? Not a popular word anymore. Not politically correct. But you know the truth is? We've all sinned. I've sinned. You sinned. The person beside you has sinned. The person behind, don't look at him. <laughs> the person behind you has sinned. The person in front of you has sinned. We've all sinned. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Isn't that right? We've all sinned. And there is only one person. There's, there's only one person who ever lived a sinless life. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Everyone else has failed. So on your PowerPoint. If it's working, is it working? Okay. So here's the problem. Here's the problem. According to the law, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is what? Is death. Ezekiel 8.20, and the soul that sins will what? Surely die. We were hooked. Because we all sinned. Because we all sinned. We all deserved God's just punishment. You know what that was? Eternal death, it was hell. But thanks be to Jesus. However, on that cross, Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Let's give him a praise offering right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. And the Word of God tells us in Romans 5, verse 8. God demonstrated his own love towards, uh, toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. No one else. Not Abraham, not Moses, not David, not Jacob, not Peter, not Paul, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Joseph Smith. No one else ever lived a sinless life than offered his perfect life as a sacrifice for our sins and our salvations. Isn't that right? And that's why the Bible tells us in Acts 4, verse 12, there is no other name 
given under heaven by which we must be saved. The only name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I want you to just picture this. Before that fateful Friday, before that, that, before the cross on that fateful Friday, God in heaven, almighty God, could open up the books, open up his book, and within his book will be every single one of our names. And he could look, each up, look up each one of our names. And written in black behind each one of our names would be the words, guilty of sin, guilty of sin, guilty, guilty, guilty. But on that day, when Jesus went to the cross, wow, no, God did something phenomenal. He, God literally took and he transferred our accounts and he put it under his name. On that day and after that day, God himself wrote his name, wrote, our, wrote the words in Jesus' blood over every single one of our names. Forgiven, 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 forgiven. Wow. Because of the cross, you and I now stand forgiven. Wow. Praise the Lord. Amen. The first promise of Easter is the promise of the empty cross. So let's go back to our ladies here. So they paused to briefly look at the cross. And then they continue their way down to the tomb. And as they go, one of them wonders out loud, who will, who will roll the stone away? They had good reason to wonder about that. Because that stone that was in front of that tomb, that was a huge boulder. Upwards, probably weighs upwards to over two tons. And besides that, the Romans put a seal on that thing, on that tomb, so that nobody could even move it without their permission. But they continue on. And as they continue on, suddenly they feel the earth move under their feet. There's a song. I feel the earth move under my feet. I see the sky come tumbling down. I feel my heart trembling. And they're frightened. And they don't know what to do. They look at each other, and they don't know what to do. But they just kind of wait there, and, 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 and after a few minutes, everything seems to go back to normal. So they continue their way. And as they continue their way to the cross, what they see, or to the burial site, what they see is absolutely remarkable. You know what they see? They come upon that scene, and they find out. They see all the soldiers all unconscious, totally passed out. They see, they, they, they see that this, this huge stone, the boulder has been moved away, and they see an angel sitting on top of that stone, and he's glowing like lightning. And they're just literally blown away. And listen to the words of the angel. He says to the, to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified, he is not here. He has risen. Jesus has risen. He was alive. The, the tomb was empty. That's the second promise 
of Easter, the promise of the empty tomb. And what a tremendous promise that was. Listen, for in the fact of the empty tomb is the truth, is the proof of the resurrection of Jesus. Not only that, in the fact of the empty tomb is the promise to every single one of us that we too will be raised to eternal life. He's the one who cleared the way. 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's the way. He opened up the way. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he did it. He was the first one. You think about the promises of God. We're talking about just three promises. I mean, the, the three major promises. But you think of all the promises in the God. You look it up. You look it up on Google. How many promises of God are there? You'll find that they're not just 10. They're not 50. They're not 100. They're into the thousands. One researcher thought he had discovered over 8,700 promises in the Bible from cover to cover. But I tell you, most scholars would agree that there are at least 3,000 promises in the Bible. Now, I believe that the greatest promise of all the promises of God, of which are, there are 3,000, which are all yes and amen through Jesus Christ, of all the promises, the greatest promise that God made to us is the promise of the hope of heaven, of eternal life. All those other 2,999 promises are nothing compared to this one. This is the treasure in the field. This is the pearl of great price. This is the one that's worth giving up everything in your life for. This is the one worth dying. It's the promise of heaven. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 says, If only in this life we have hope, then in only in this life we have hope, then we are of all people to be pitied. You know, the more we realize, the more, the, the more we live, the more we live, we, real, we, we realize that we're coming to a dead end. And this, this life is absolutely futile if there is no hope beyond the grave. Do you believe that? I love the words of Vance Havner. Vance Havner said, the hope of dying is the only thing that keeps me alive. So good, isn't it? The empty tomb on your PowerPoint attests to, it proves the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Not only that, the empty tomb attests to the promise to every single one of us here today that we too will be raised to eternal life. And because of the resurrection, death has lost its sting. Death has lost its sting. Death is no longer something that we as believers in Christ, death should not be something that we should fear. I want to tell you a story. A father and son were traveling down a country road. It was springtime in the afternoon. The window of the car was slightly open. A bee flew in started buzzing all around in, in the car. Now, the father's son 
who was deathly allergic to bee stings. The son panicked. Bee was buzzing around. The father saw the panic on the son's face. So one hand on a wheel, reaches up, grabs the bee in his hand. And then soon he just opens it up again. And then the bee starts buzzing all around. And the son starts panicking again. So the father reaches over to his son, opens up his palm of his hand, shows him the stinger still in his palm. And he says to me, relax, son. I took the sting. The bee cannot hurt you anymore. The empty tomb is God's way of telling you and I, relax, child. I took the sting. Death cannot harm you or hurt you anymore. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Nikki Gumbel said, He defeated death for us by the sheer force of resurrection life. Wow. Wow. Praise the Lord. Hebrews 7, 16, message version, talks about Jesus. A priest like Melchizedek. You ever heard that word? That name, Melchizedek, before? It's way back in Genesis chapter 14. Abraham, with 318 fighting men, were coming back from a war he had won against four kings, which represented four ancient kingdoms. And he defeated them with, with God and 318 men. And on the way back, he meets Melchizedek, priest and king, king of Salem. And immediately he recognized this is no ordinary person. And he, and, and he is so taken up with Melchizedek. And the Bible explains Melchizedek was priest. He was king. He, he had no genealogy. He had no ancestry, human ancestry. He had no beginning. He had no end. I believe he was an epiphany of Jesus. And it says that, that Abraham worshipped him and he gave him a tenth of all the plunder he had taken. Hebrews 7.16 says, Jesus, a priest like Melchizedek, not by genealogical descent, but by the sheer force of resurrection life, he lives. He lives. Let me tell you, the resurrection is an earth, is the earth-shattering event. The resurrection of Jesus is the linchpin of Christianity. It is the linchpin of the Bible. It's the linchpin of your faith and my faith. You know what a linchpin is? Define this way. The linchpin is the person or the thing that holds something together, the most important part of a complex situation, situation or system. To understand it better, let me give you an example. Picture in your mind a train, a long train. It's headed up by a very powerful engine and locomotive. And behind this train are all, behind the locomotive, the engine, is the train of cars. And all these different cars, and here's what they represent. Behind it are all the cars, and they represent the covenants, 
the commands, doctrines, dictates, law, prophets, predictions, prophecy, the history, the destiny, and even revelation to come. And what connects the locomotive, the power source, to the train and all these cars is the linchpin. This is the single, one single event. The linchpin is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And everything hinges on the resurrection. Do you see that? Without the resurrection, everything else is meaningless, means nothing. Everything hinges on the, res on the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. And if Christ is not alive, you are still lost in your sins, and your faith is a fantasy. Resurrection. It is the single most significant event influencing history and the souls of mankind. Wow. And not only here, and here's, here's, here's why it's so significant too on your, next, on, the, on your PowerPoint. The power of Christ's resurrection bursts through, breaks through time and history right through to the obstacles that you and ha I have today. Tim Keller, he's an author, a Christian writer, former pastor, tells a story about Christ's resurrection, about the power of his resurrection. And in the story, he tells, talks about a minister. He was in Italy. And there he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before. Now, this man was an unbeliever, and he was completely against Christianity. But he was also a little afraid of it, too. So you know what the man did? So this man had a huge stone slab put right over the top of his grave so that he would not have to be resurrected or raised from the dead in case there was a resurrection from the dead. He had insignias put all over that stone slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. <laughs> it's a true story. But evidently, Keller says, evidently when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen into his grave. So a hundred years later, this acorn had grown up, grown right up through the grave, and literally split that slab. And it was now a towering oak tree over this guy's grave. Well, the minister looked at it, and he asked, if an acorn which is the power of biological life in it, can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection power do in a person's life? That's right. In Keller comments, the minute you decide to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, the presence of Holy Spirit comes into your life. The minute you decide to receive the gift of God's power of Holy Spirit, power of resurrection comes into your life. Same thing, same power that raised Christ from the dead resides in you and me. Amen? You know, you think about things. Think about things that are immovable slabs in your life. Maybe it's, maybe it's your bitterness. Or maybe it's your self-doubts. Or maybe it's fears. Maybe it's a sickness and illness. Whatever it is, 
all these things can be split and and can be rolled off your life. Jesus did it all. The more you know him, the more you know him, and the more you surrender your life to him, and the more you let, allow yourself to love him with all your heart, the more you do that, the more you, you will experience and grow in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Doesn't end there. That's the, that's the second empty, the second promise, the empty tomb. But there's one more. One more promise I want to give you. Number three, it's the promise of the empty burial clothes. So let's go back to the story. The angel had just spoken to the, to the women immediately to go back to the other apostles. And they tell them this incredible story of what they experienced. And they're so excited. Well, Peter and John decide to check it out themselves. So they run back to the grave. And John actually runs, outruns Peter. <clears throat> but John stands just at the mouth of the grave. Peter runs right inside. And he looks and he sees the empty burial clothes of Jesus. And the part that was around Jesus' head, neatly folded up and just laying there. You know, truly, truly, Jesus was alive. Jesus was resurrected. Amen? And it wasn't long before that Jesus himself met and encountered Mary Magdalene, all the apostles, and appeared to over 500 people later on. And he would sit with them, he would walk with them, he would talk with them, he would eat with them, and, and, and finally, at last, he'd be, he'd be, they would be able to fellowship with him again. You know, and see, that's the promise. That's the promise of the anti-burial clothes. The promise is this, that Jesus is alive and he wants to have fellowship with you. He's not some nebulous force out there in the universe trying to influence people. He's a living Savior and he wants to have a personal relationship with you just as he did with the, with the apostles, disciples over 2,000 years ago. Amen? Amen. You, you, you think of all that. Think of all that we talked about. The cross. The cross could not hold him. The tomb could not contain, contain him. And those empty graves, totally unnecessary. Why? Because Jesus was alive. Amen? Amen? Amen. How many of you thankful for Jesus? How many of you thankful for the resurrection? Amen? How about we give him a victory shout? No, he is risen. He is alive. Are you ready? He is risen. He is alive. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. 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 I think at Easter time, more than any other time of the year, we realize that God literally gave us some, some outlandish promises. Promises that seemed almost too good to be true. But they are true. This morning we heard about those three powerful promises that God made to us. Number one, the promise of forgiven sins. Number two, the promise of eternal life. Number three, the promise of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ himself, the God of the universe, King of kings, Lord of lords. What an incredible gift. One more promise. One final one, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be what? will be saved. If you're here today and you've never accepted God's promises for your life, 
It's like God is saying to you, you know, he says, what's taking you so long? For heaven's sake, what's taking you for so long, right? Do it today. Do it today and know the joy of Jesus, of eternal life. Know the joy of being forgiven. Know the joy of peace that this world cannot give you, that's supernatural. Enjoy the supernatural, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, if you've never made that decision, you can make it today. And it is the greatest decision you will ever make in your life. So if you're here, you want to give your heart to Jesus, you want to invite him into your heart, you can do that today. In fact, let's all bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I want to lead you into this prayer today to receive Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you suffered on the cross. And I believe that you shed your blood on the cross to pay for all my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave. Lord Jesus, forgive me of every sin that I have committed. And today I ask you to come into my heart and to be Savior and Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen.